I've not done um, these sort of like podcasts like this before. I've okay. only done ones like online and stuff okay. before. So this is new to me as well. So is this yes. a recorded thing or is this a live thing? It's not live. It's recorded. Excellent. <laughs> just in case. But it has got a camera on you, if that's all right. I did spot that. Yeah. Yes, so thanks. It's just, and I've got a camera on myself. Um, <laughs> it just makes it a lot easier. If that's right. Do you want a beer? Um, I've got an alcoholic free one. No, no, that's not much about. No, I'll, I'll take a Moretti. Yeah, you take a Moretti? I'll take yeah. a Moretti, yeah, why not? I better uh, not do the Desperado, that's a bit of a Friday night thing. <laughs> I've got another one in the fridge later on. Lovely, thank you very much. It's very kind of it, thank you. So, yeah, so um, you're a teacher, are you? I am a teacher, yeah. Um, I'm going to need that actually because that's got some details on it. Oh, right, that cool. I need to, I need to remember. That's all right. I mean. uh, yeah, I teach secondary. You take secondary? Ah, uh, right, with Stonehenge or? No, I'm up at Serum Academy. Serum Academy, okay, in, I don't in know. In Salisbury. It. In Salisbury, brilliant. Yeah. Because I'm uh, studying to become a teacher at the moment. Well, I'm currently unqualified. You're unqualified I'm as a teacher? I'm working as an okay. unqualified. So, um, how, how's. Because uh, it's a private school, so you can. It's not a private school, no. Oh, right. So, I'm currently studying for an English degree. As you're doing it, as you're teaching at the same as time. As I'm working at the same time. Nice. But I'm not actually teaching English. Okay. I'm teaching food tech. You're teaching food tech at the moment while studying to become an English teacher. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Um, well, my, my background's got a little bit of catering history in it. Okay. So I sort of fell into the whole school thing by accident, actually. How, how did you get there? So, like, what? Um, so I started... <laughs> I started jokingly when a position came up in the PE department oh really and I okay. said to my wife who also works at the school yeah okay um, I might apply for it brilliant knowing full well that I wouldn't get it I'm not qualified yeah you know etc yeah, yeah and she said well why don't you write to the head mm. who I knew kind of semi-personally I'd been out on school socials and such so I'd, okay. I'd, I'd know, I knew Jonathan at the time sure um, she said why don't you write to him and say look I'd love to come and do this sure but appreciate I haven't got this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. But is there something I could do to get my foot in the door, get myself on the ladder? And he, he emailed me back and he basically said, come and have a chat. Yeah. Okay, great. So they basically created a position in, in school for me of cover supervisor. Brilliant. Because normally most teachers in schools are um, sort of agency staff. Okay. So they just sense. bounce around school to school wherever they're needed. Sure. And particularly with our school, it's very much a relationships thing. Okay, right. A lot of our kids, our school is in a very, very council-deprived, poor yeah. area. So you okay. need to build the relationships and build so that. Yeah, so it's in the them. middle of okay. a council estate, basically. Yeah, so, so it must be tough. So that means you've we been brought have... in to be able to have those conversations exactly. with people. So ah. we, we have a huge percentage of our kids in very difficult positions. Yeah, okay. Broken homes, abusive homes, nice. single parent families, foster families, you know, lots of, lots of different scenarios. Yeah. So it makes it very difficult. And we have a lot of um, children on the autism spectrum as well. Okay. So autistic, Asperger's. But you must, you know. you must not have any experience with that. So that must be quite new to you. No, that is all very new to me. Yeah, okay. But... Um, 90% of our kids, I would say, it's all about the relationship you can build with them. It's yeah. not even necessarily about the education for them. I think in secondary school, it's, that's highlighted even more because, yeah. I mean, you, you go through all the problems of bullying, you go the problems of actually going through puberty and, and all the problems at home. So you've yeah. got all of that and you need to build those relationships. So when I went for my interview, without wishing to get the 
violin out, mm. I had a fairly difficult upbringing. I okay. had a very difficult childhood. Yeah. Um, obviously, I, I'm 40 now. Mm-hmm. I'm 41 now, but... Looking good. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> the kids don't always believe that either. Well, before before we move on, let's cheers on that. Yeah, thank cheers you Cheers to looking good, right? Cheers to looking good. <laughs> well, I can't say that myself, but, you know. Well, I don't know. How old are you? I'm 29. Well, are you doing all right for 29 oh, I'm then? I'm right, I'm there right, I'm right, I'm right. Uh, the kids don't believe me when I say I'm 41. Okay. They, they often put me down as much younger, which is, you know, I'll take that. Maybe I'll because you play football every week. Maybe that's it. Uh, that helps, yeah. <laughs> but then dealing with 600 kids and having one of my own. Yeah, you know, stress. You, that's why I shaved my head, because my hair's fallen out, so it's, you know. Um, I'm going that way, don't worry. <laughs> I just had to embrace it after. In fact, yeah. no, I've done it since I was 19. Oh, okay, my cool. girlfriend then made a mess of my hair, and I just said, oh, do you know what, shave it off. Get off. Just, it's just, just so much easier, isn't it? I just wash and go. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. It's just, just wash my face. Soap everywhere, done. And go. Yeah. That's it. Um, but no, our, our kids, <laughs> I, I understand where they're coming from. Okay. Because I came from very similar difficult backgrounds as them. Right. So if you, as, as you've been brought up in that sort of way, yeah. you know how you can connect with them and what you were missing exactly. at that time as well. Exactly that. Okay. And I try and use a lot of my life experiences. W- were you brought up around here as well? No, no, I'm not from Salisbury at all. So where were you uh, I, based so originally? I, I, <laughs> I was born just sort of on the outskirts of London. Okay. Whereabouts? Uh, uh, Hanworth, near, Hanworth near Feltham oh West London oh, okay. yeah, yeah, just yeah. Sort, of, sort of between Feltham and Twickenham I was in London for nine years as well just moved down here so yeah it's, all it's quite much better here isn't it London's a whole well, was, London's strange because you've got like amazing rich neighbourhoods and then all of a sudden you've got these poor really um, yeah. deprived areas and it's, yeah. they're literally next door to each other yeah it's, it's crazy this sort of goes on to so the how sans thing and my daughter when she got ill she was taken up to King's College okay middle of Camberwell Green okay and you come out of Camberwell Green and you've got Brixton right next door yeah and it's you've got this amazing incredible hospital with yeah. these amazing facilities absolutely you, yet we weren't we were advised by hospital staff mm. not to go out at night really Around the hospital. And it's got all these amazing facilities and everything like that, but you can't go even outside at night. Yeah, it was, it was quite, you know, it was, you know, I mean, we drove through there, coming and going from the hospital. And, yeah. Uh, you know, you, just some of the things you see. I'm it's sure. kind of, you know. But what, and, I mean, I hate London anyway. But, what, year, what year was this? Um, uh, so my daughter was born in 2003. 2003, so it's okay. it's going back a while. Oh, right. So around, was um, it around the 2003 area? So between 2003, 2005... Okay, so we were making those trips up. So it was two years worth of uh, back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So your daughter was two when she had issues, or was it from birth? It was from birth. Okay. Yeah, it was from birth. And what was your daughter's name? So my daughter's name was Ellie. Ellie. Okay. Um, She was yeah. She was born with a liver disease. Um, So within sort of twelve weeks, she'd had her first operation to try and solve it. Okay, and that was at at the college. That wasn't at King's. where was that? No, that was at King's College, actually. Okay, yeah. She was first diagnosed at our local hospital, which was Frimley Park in, okay. in Surrey. Mm. That's where I was living at the time. Okay. Um, and then they basically said, yeah, we're not equipped for this. You need to go here. So they sent so, you to a specialist? Yeah. Into, in, in, li- in liver specifically? They've got a specialist orthopaedic liver unit. Right, so, okay. So yeah. they sent you there, um, and I guess she went under lots of tests or... Um, was it one of those sort of things where it so kind she of got underwent, worse time? She underwent a, f- a few tests. They'd done some tests previously at Frimley before they sent us up there. Okay. But they sent us up to King's College and they did some more stuff. And they basically said, right, this is the procedure that we need to perform. Yep. 
it's got a 60% chance of working, mm-hmm. which in the big scheme, 60% is not a lot. No, it's you not. Know. I mean, it's, 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 it's more on the hopefully side. It's, and, it's, yeah. yeah, you know, but so, you know, we were aware of the possibilities. Yeah, of um, course. It doesn't make it easier. No, it really didn't. But then there was a long period after that that we had to wait and okay. and f- to see if it worked. Okay. Because it takes the liver that long to start processing the toxins and the poisons. And okay. So right. it, there was sort of a, a six-month wait before we knew if it had worked or not. And did that uh, have an impact to her health at the same time over um, that six months? She, well, she was poorly anyway. Okay, so it but didn't change uh, anything in no, that six months? No, I mean, months? from birth, she was really jaundiced. Okay. So... Most babies are. So okay. we didn't think it was an issue. Yeah. But after sort of four, six, eight weeks, we're getting a bit, this isn't right. We think there's a problem. So we took, took her to our health visitor and she looked at her straight away and she said, yeah, get yourself up to the hospital. So she was at home with you? Yeah, she was at home the whole time. So there was no issues between that sort well, of time? when I say the whole time, she was at home with us up until the point of her first um, operation. Right, okay. We yeah. took her in. But then after the op, she was in for a few days and then we took we were able to bring her home. Did you think by then uh, everything will be okay? At the time, we thought, great, everything's going to be fine because immediately there was a change in her colour because all of a sudden her body's able to clear out all these these poisons. Yeah, the toxins. So, I presume, so she yeah. starts to go back to pink again and we think, br- brilliant. Yeah, I'm sure. Signs are positive. Excuse me. She had to have regular blood tests and such. Um for all their levels and such. Yeah. Um, and like I say, over a six month period, they monitor her and they can tell whether things have worked or not. Okay. So anyway, six months later, we get the horrible call that, yeah, it's not worked. We're going right. to have to put you on the transplant list. So you were on the transplant, she was on the transplant list. And how long is that list? I mean, I don't know even how it works. Uh, um, so it's basically, so you must, it must be, a, a blood type match. Okay, right. So you basically have to wait for another young person to pass away. Okay, before she can take before the liver. Before a liver is, is, becomes available in her blood type as well. So, so that other person who passes away... Would have been a young child. This, and the same, uh, has to be the same blood type as well. It would have had to be the same blood type as well. Is that through natural causes or was it through... Um, so... The, the blood type thing, the body basically rejects Anything, the, the yeah. organ if it doesn't match. That makes sense. But like with, um, with the other children who are they getting the transplants from, do, do they have to get that from a child who, who dies from natural causes or was it from... It could have been anything. It could yeah, be anything. Oh, right, yeah, okay. Anything. As long as the liver is healthy and the, the family are willing to donate, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, the... Oh, my God. The... As we got further on down the line, she ended up having three transplants in the end. Three transplants. So there were actually three separate livers available yeah. for her. Not at the same time, no. Over different uh, this, is, this was okay. over the two-year period. So by Jeez. now, we're probably about 18 months. There's an 18-month period where she goes through three transplants. Were there many other children in the same situation as her? Uh, the whole ward was packed. There were kids in there all the time. So how many? How, where do they get all these, these, uh, these livers from? Some of them come from adults. Okay, which they right. can split. That's interesting. I didn't know you could do that. So the liver is the only organ in the body that can reproduce itself. So it re- Oh, okay. So it grows so itself. They can uh, take a right. slice of liver, implant it, and it would grow over time with a child. That's amazing. But they would much rather it be a as close as. Of course. So there's less chance of 
failure, less chance of... And complications know, later complications. on. Yeah, yeah, no, I can imagine Basically. that. Yeah. So she had three separate transplants. I mean, were the, were the doctors hopeful after the first transplant? After the first one, uh, it was a blood type match. We were, we were good. We were happy. Okay. But for whatever reason, as with any transplant, her body just rejected it. Okay. It, it's just down to your genetic makeup. Your, your body's got to accept that it's a foreign organ. And it yeah. would be the same as anybody having a transplant. Heart transplant, liver transplant, lung transplant, any, anything that, okay. you know. And is that quite common then for your body to reject? You, yeah, I think tra- so. Okay. Yeah. Right, um, okay. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're literally To be honest, I don't really know because we didn't obviously look into that side of things. No, of course you know, not. Yeah, we, you were just told we, from we the were doctor. preoccupied by <laughs> I'm that I'm sure point. you were. So um, she, she, she was in hospital at the time. So she would have been in for the transplant. She'd have had to stay in for a period of time. Did you have a home in between transplants? Um, no. Well, yes. There, there was a period of time where she had to obviously recover. Okay. It's quite a big operation, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then we were allowed to take her home. And as she's at that age, was she one at that age? She'd have been about one by then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so come, coming up to a year, year. Yeah, well, about was, that. She, was she crawling around and everything? Was she like... Um, was so she very because much... of her condition, she was a little bit behind in her development. Okay. Um, well, it makes sense. Yeah, you know, she spent yeah. so long yeah. in a bed and laying down mm. and hooked up to machines and stuff that she was a little bit backwards in her development. Yeah. She, you know, she wasn't quite where she should be. But, you know, she did end up walking and, you know... Wow. She wasn't able to speak fully, but there were words there, you know. I think, you know... When but she was two. And also, when, you, when you're in that... When you're in and out of hospital and in and out of health problems, the last thing you're thinking about is the development of... Uh, the brain, for example, the way the way she has to learn how to speak I and mean, learn how to crawl. You know, yeah. you're very much thinking, I want her to be healthy. Just, just be well. Just be well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that was the long and the short of it. Yeah, of course. You know, um, you know, all of the rest of it, we could have developed that over time. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It makes sense. It but, makes sense. Yeah. Unfortunately, it, it didn't end that way. So after the, s- the first transplant, it didn't, it didn't work. So the first plant, transplant, again, we have to wait a significant period of time in terms of months. Months, okay. For it um we waited six months there was a period of time several months where she was healthy and happy and she went back to pink and we were we were you know all her levels were going back to where they should be and we were so happy and everything looked great and then all of a sudden she took a dive and everything just dropped and it was just a case of her body rejecting this transplant so then the second transplant happened she goes back on the list yeah and by this point she's now significantly unwell okay and she ends up in the icu Right at the same at the same uh, back hospital at King, back at King's College. Okay, so and Kings were uh, were there other children in the ICU as yeah, well? Yeah, there were a couple of others in there with, with, in the, with the same problem. Similar problems, yeah. Okay. Be it, you know, it might not have been identical, but similar problems to Ellie. It was it was liver liver function problems and okay. you know, renal problems, that kind of thing. Was Ellie um, like was she awake for most of this stuff, or was so, she yeah, under most of the time? She was awake, but in, once yeah. she hit the ICU, yeah, there was a period where no, she's not okay. She's not okay. No, she was, she was hooked up to several machines mm. for a while mm. um, until the second transplant became available. Now it wasn't a blood match, but the consultant that we had was brilliant. He was a lovely guy. I can't, I can't for the life of me remember his name. Yeah, there are certain details that obviously sort of fly by of you. Of course not. You're, <laughs> you know? you're, you're preoccupied. You yeah. want your child um, just to be healthy, so you're, that's all you're thinking about. And um, you know, he said, look we need to get a liver into her. Mm. Other organs are starting to go wrong because yeah. of this 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 issue. We're just going to take the next liver that becomes available. So they, they fast-tracked her so literally straight She was away. on the list 
the moment something became available, bang, In. they did the op. And they knew within a matter of weeks that yeah. it had failed. Okay, so they oh they knew oh yeah. what, what what were the signs? Was it uh, just the blood levels and and oh. certain different body levels within? And she wasn't getting better. I she wasn't getting better. She you know we were allowed to take her home after the second one as well. You know oh, she they... was well enough to come home. Okay, but they obviously monitored her levels and such. We had to do regular hospital visits. Was she, was she on a, a machine or anything at home? No, the only thing that she had to have was um, she had to have a feeding tube at home. In in at home. Okay. Um, she wasn't eating particularly well, so we had to give her fluids during the night mm. um, through the nose. That was nasty trying to put that in. You know, it must be actually. We've all had the COVID test recently. We've had a sticker. Yeah, of course. Yeah, cotton bud up our yeah, nose. So that's what we kind of Just know how it feels. Imagine that, but going all the way down to your gut. Jesus, you I know, so, yeah, it wasn't that. wasn't pleasant. But so, uh, but how how are you go? How are you? Your, what's your wife's name? Sorry. Uh, so my na- my wife's name's Becky, but uh, Becky. she's not the mother of my children. She's not the brother no, of the children. Okay, I've split from the mum. So the the, the mum. The... So Michelle, Michelle. <laughs> okay, Michelle was great because she was the one that took all the hospital runs. Right. Okay. While I stayed yeah. at home with our older one. Okay. So, you had um, elder, so I was. I, I, I still had to work. Mm-hmm. So my older daughter was still going to school. Yeah. She'd spend a couple of hours with grandparents in the afternoon. Okay. I'd go and yeah. pick her up, take her home. We'd have the evening together, mm-hmm. and the cycle would start again. That makes sense. And what, what, what were you doing at that time? What, what was your job? Uh, what was I doing at that time? Uh, I think I was doing home deliveries or something. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So it, just there's a there's a period of that time in my life that just a lot of the details are. Yeah, they're hazy. They're probably kind of, hazy yeah. now because you know, you know. Also, so much probably happened, and it, it, there was so much going on. It was and so mentally difficult. straining, probably for you. And it then, was it was difficult for the pair of us, to be honest. And you know, we were spending a lot of time apart. Mm, yeah, we were spending a lot of time with each of the girls, but apart. Yeah. You know, so I've I've got a fabulous bond with Sophie. We've got a wonderful relationship. Okay. Um, and that's your eldest daughter. She's my oldest. She's okay. twenty two now. She's twenty two now. Wow. Oh, she will become November. Okay, she, great. So yeah, yeah. She's, she's well grown up. She mm-hmm. lives up in Manchester. Okay, doing really well for herself. Couldn't be more proud of her. But Amazing. we've got a really unique relationship because we spent so much time together. It's it's more like a mother daughter relationship because okay. they have that bond from birth. That does make sense. You know? Yeah. But because we spent so long together, because of Michelle being mm. away, mm. they didn't really get that that bond and they do have a bit of a fractious relationship it's okay. better now because she's moved away well a lot of mothers and but daughters have that as well I we always find that. that it's a, a mother son yeah. father daughter kind of thing yeah I think know? it is it is that sort of way but uh, the thing is I also I guess with you you probably put a lot more time into uh, your eldest daughter I had to because I was the only one there yeah. you know Shell was in and out you know, and, and and in fairness to her, she was trying to work part time at the time as well. Okay, so, so there were occasions when I was at home with Ellie and Sophie. And that's the thing yeah, I think, like so economically, it's, t- it's difficult to it was, balance life. It was with, incredibly hard, yeah, it was with, incredibly with hard. money and, and getting money in and time, and and it's tricky. And I, I bet with everything that you went through with Ellie, made your relationship with your eldest daughter stronger. Uh, yeah, certainly it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, she, I know that she struggles with it now. She was five when it happened. Okay, and. Because of the way that I, we spoke to the girls, yeah. when everything was happening with Ellie, we were honest with Sophie. Okay. Maybe more honest than we should have been for a five-year-old. And how, how, she, how does she feel now looking back to when she was five? She gets incredibly emotional and much more upset about it, okay. about the whole scenario about losing Ellie than she ever did as a child. 
because she didn't have that emotional development. Mm, okay. She gets so much more. She's so much more aware of it now, and it it, and, and, and and she finds it so much harder when anniversary and birthday come around. Mm. Well, I you think know, with also she's the older sister, so I guess. You know, Ellie was her younger uh, younger sister, and therefore, you know, they they probably would have had a special bond. And I think sisters do, and brothers and sister brothers do. She as was well. brilliant with her. She yeah. was brilliant. You know, there was a couple mm. of years difference between them, and and I'll say a couple of years. Sophie was born in '99. Ellie was born in 2003. So yeah, you know, not too much. Yeah, it's not a huge difference. But, no, 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 not but, at you all. Know, she was brilliant with her. She was, you know, she played with her. She she mess around with her. She was great, but she was always she always knew to be gentle with her because. She wasn't well. Okay. And because of what she'd been going through, and, you know, she had a very, very swollen, protruding stomach mm-hmm. because she was retaining fluid a lot of the time. Okay. And, you know, but just her, her functions weren't as they should have been. Of course. You know. Yeah, her body was just fighting something. Um, yeah. But yeah, Safe was brilliant with her, even as a five-year-old. And then, yeah, yeah like I say, when we, when we lost her, mm. we explained to Sophie, look, your sister's not coming home. She wasn't very well. Yeah. Yeah. And as a five-year-old, they kind of go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, don't, they just don't get it. There's, there's no. not that same emotional development, I, that same emotional attachment. Yeah, they don't think they get it yet, do they? They think it's one of those sort of things, they know they need to be gentle, yeah. but they don't really understand the fully no. the whole way. And that makes sense. I mean, they're five. You know, you don't. Yeah. You don't so as, as she got older, obviously, the emotions developed. And probably the hardest period for Sophie was when she was going through her teenage years. Okay. Because obviously all those emotions and hormones are developing. With and, the memories and the trauma. And, and suddenly everything becomes so much harder. Yeah. Now no, the memory is there. Now she doesn't know why she's upset, but she knows she should be. You yeah. know, and, and now obviously she's a young adult and, and she gets it so much more and she still gets upset by it. And sometimes she says, why don't I cry about it? Well, you know, you don't need to cry about it. Mm. So if it's, you know, it's, it's the way you feel. It's, you're, it's, you don't need to cry about it to be upset. She probably doesn't remember a time before... I, I suspect not. Yeah. You know, I mean, how much do we remember from... No, we don't. ...when we were five years I, old? I, very little. Very, very little. There's you, there's moments of my five-year-old life. Exactly. And because, you probably see it through pictures more than anything. Well, a lot of mine is, is memory recall, and that's only because it was injuries, injuries, or injuries. <laughs> injuries, <laughs> really? You know? Yeah, I, I, I had a couple of accidents when I was okay. a kid, so... You know, <laughs> I mean, most kids do, but yeah. they, were, they were quite serious ones that I okay. remember certain things about, you know. I, I, the only accident really I had as a child was I was hit by a golf club here... By a, by a friend when I was like ten, and I cracked my cracked my head open. I went to hospital, yeah. and that was a traumatic. Experience. Funny enough, I, I, you can't see it because of my beard, but I've yeah. got a scar on my cheek. It looks like a bit of a dimple. Okay, um, from also a friend. Yeah, um, threw a, a bolt at me. Well, I don't think it was at me, but he threw it. What what kind of bolt? And, like, is like a, well, we're talking sort of like a. <laughs> a Sort of a four and a half, five inch bolt with a whacking great big nut on the end. Were you still friends afterwards? Hit, hit to, um, I didn't see him much after that because <laughs> he disappeared for about six hours. His dad was going to beat really? the living crap out of him. No. Yeah, his dad was not impressed. So, is he, so you have like a mark. I've, there. I've got a little scar there in my cheek. But well, lucky your beard covers yeah, it. Yeah, you can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very, very unnoticeable these yeah. days even if I am clean shaven but yeah. that hasn't been for a while because the wife <laughs> won't let me so oh really she likes it she, likes she prefers it. the beard yeah she says something different about me when I don't have a beard I have the opposite my wife absolutely hates it when I have a beard maybe because it's all stubbly and really rough maybe that's it she's she's got a type my wife <laughs> oh right think okay. Statham 
Diesel, The Rock. I see it. You know, I see it. You know, maybe those, not The Rock. Maybe not I The Rock. It. Yeah, I'm not quite that big, but <laughs> she's got that particular shaven head, beardy kind of yeah. stubbly sort of yeah. type. You know, so that's so. that's her type, and therefore you can never shave your beard again. No, exactly. Ever. No, not allowed to. She hates it when I do. When I make it, when I make a mistake and just trim it too much, yeah, bugger. Now it's all got to come off. Oh no, come down the stairs happy. and she's like. All right, we're divorcing tonight then. Get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get yeah out. basically, yeah. yeah. Get out, come back in two weeks when it's grown back. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, there's always works. spare room here if you need to, mate. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks. So, yeah, no, you, so you ended up um, for the second transplant, right? Yeah. And then the third transplant must have come about somehow. So the third one comes about because Ellie is at a point of now being on dialysis as well as... Everything yeah. is starting to shut down. Okay. She's starting to have complete sort of function failure. So you, she couldn't be at home anymore? She was in hospital by this point. Yeah. And we were sense. staying in the um, Ronald McDonald housing. Okay. So McDonald's support hospitals and they provide housing accommodation for parents that need to be next to the, ho- uh, to the hospital. I didn't know that. That's so you amazing. see the little money boxes when you go through the drive-thru and on the counters. Yeah. That's what they're for. It's for wow. the Ronald McDonald houses for these people and for so parents that... They've per- purchased these houses. So they're purpose-built, basically. Okay, right. And they're basically like, um, they're basically like shared student accommodation. Okay, sure. You get a room and there's a shared kitchen and there's a shared living area. Mm. To be honest, you don't spend that much time in there. No, of course not. It's somewhere to sleep and then go back to the hospital. Yeah. yeah, There's a shower and back to the hospital. Yeah. But that's quite nice. It's nice to have that space to be able to do that. Because I guess in hospitals, you don't normally have that space. It's no matter how much you sit there and you sit and you you try and function normally, Mm. it's so emotionally draining. I'm sure. To sit there and watch your, your child... Just being kept awake and alive by machinery. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, and it is, it's, it's just so distressing and, and emotionally hard. It's, <clears throat> you know, we, we couldn't have done the drive home. We were living sort of south of Guildford at that time. Right, so Guildford, so Guildford to Camberwell, you know, it's a hell of a drive. That is, that's a long drive. Yeah. You know, so there's no way that after a day at the hospital, we could have driven all the way back to get up and go all the way back again in the morning. Every day. Every day. You know, because we yeah. did that for, you know, a good couple of three weeks. So how? So I guess you had time off work. Yeah, I ended up taking time off work. Um, Who was I looking mean, after Sophie at that time? Uh, she stayed with grandparents. Okay. She stayed with grandparents. Right. Um, Michelle's mum and dad lived very close to us at that time, so they were That's just down good. the road. They would pick her up from school, take her home, look after her. Yeah. You know that. You know, um, I think by that point, I can't remember if Michelle's mum had taken a sabbatical from work or if if she was working from home I, I can't remember the exact circumstances but she was basically around a lot yeah which okay. was really helpful yeah which is great um, yeah because you need that support you know and and, yeah. and, it, and it kind of kept some sort of normality for sophie as well i'm sure you know going to school seeing friends mm. you know all the all the sort of things that she would normally have been doing so by the time the third transplant came around how old was sophie so sophie would have been yeah, she would have been five. She, she would have been, been five because okay. she turned six after Elliot passed away. So yeah, she she would have been five by that point. Okay. So I mean, the second and third transplants happened relatively close together. Okay. Um, so it was a rush. Sort of, it was a mad rush from the yeah, hospital to try much. and get it all in. So by the by the time the third transplant came around, Ellie was now, like I say, hooked up to dialysis. Mm. She's you know. <clears throat> 
she's basically having machinery keeping her functions going. Yeah. Um, she was unconscious. We hadn't seen her eyes open for... I don't even remember how long. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where the consultant basically said to us, um, we just need a liver. We just okay. need anything. And we yeah. explored every option, even to the point of live donors. Um, and somebody that I knew very well at the time, we've since fallen out, but um, he, even he offered because he knew it was a blood match. But because the, the hospital wouldn't even entertain it because of ethical reasons. Really? Because we could have paid him, there could have been money involved, etc. Could you have done it? No. Is it because of blood because type? Because of blood type. So was and she, what, in actual fact, the nurse had to go away and do some research before coming back to us to say, we can't use you. Because at one point they wanted to check my paternity. Right. Because both Michelle and I were A positive and Ellie was O. And O positive, is, is it rare? Incredibly. <laughs> wow. It's what? the most <sighs> rare blood type. That's just, that makes it even harder than it could have been. So, so if, if you were O... Then, would yeah, you? it would have been an option. And because I'm a parent, it would have been, yeah, let's do it. Let's get it done. So would that have worked even better because of a parent, because of the same genetics? Not necessarily. Or, okay. There still could have been the chance of rejection. Right. And they're very reluctant to do it until it's like, this is absolutely dire. The last resort. Last resort, because I'd have been laid up for three months. Mm. She'd have been, you know, I'd have mm. not been able to work or anything like that. Which is why, the, and you know, it would have been a big strain on my body as well. Absolutely, yeah. And so the doctors and, and what have you, they were very reluctant to do that anyway. Jeez. So in that instance, that's even harder to take because now I know that there's nothing I can do. Right. Okay. All, the t- all the time that it was a possibility mm. until they took my bloods, you, you just hang on to that little bit of hope that, course you know maybe something could happen yeah you're waiting for like you're you're clinging on to it because yeah you know it's, it's your child <laughs> you know you want to cling on to it you'll basically do anything at this point now i'm not a religious man but i got to the point where i ended up on my knees at the end of her bed crying and praying to god that mm. she would just be okay you've never, you never been religious no i've never no. never have okay but in that one moment it's amazing those kind of situations where they put you yeah of course what kind of mindset they put you in did you have anyone to speak to through this? Um, other than family and friends, no. Okay. No, nothing professional, no. Mm. Um, you and know, then there when... were consultants and there were people at the hospital, but you kind of, you, you're kind of so wrapped up in what's going on with your family, your child, that you kind of, you're oblivious to people offering you help almost. Mm, okay. You know? Yeah, um, and was it, I guess it was so fast paced and fast moving that it was. So you were the, just looking for something, the next thing, the next thing. So the uh, <clears throat> the the end the end part of the story came very quickly because she had the third transplant and. They knew within, oh, it was, I, I think it was like a day, a day, like a week. It was a, you know, it was such a short time frame. We didn't even get her home. 
and, but at this point. I guess at that time, you don't, time just blends into one, it, right? Yeah. You just, don't know what timing you know. is, yeah. Um, and we were back at the house, back at the the, the um, accommodation. Yeah. And it was, it was fairly early morning, 5.30, 6 o'clock. Mm. And the phone in the room goes. And we know that if the phone in the room goes, it's bad news because that's a direct line to the ward. Right, so it's an emergency. And the phone goes and we get the call saying, <clears throat> Ellie's had a cardiac arrest. We've resuscitated her for now but you need to come to the hospital right away. And the situation was that the transplant had failed and now her body was shutting down. Her little body just couldn't take anymore. And we went over and in the time it took us from getting that phone call to getting up, getting dressed and getting to the hospital, which was less than a two minute walk, she'd had another arrest. Jesus. And when we walked in, they were working on a resus. And was there any sign of hope at that point? You always retain hope. Yeah. Were they were they hopeful of trying to bring her back? Or was it very much there was there was panic on the doctor's face or was there It was you don't see it because they're professionals. Mm. You don't see it. They don't you know they're they get upset because they get attached to patients, of course, especially yeah. the kids. You know, they, they see the kids coming and going. And we walked in there and, and they explained the situation. And they said, you know, do you, do you guys want to come in? Do you want to see what's going on? Do you want to see Ellie? And I, I said, yeah, I want to I want to be there. I want to see what's what's going on, what's happening. And Michelle stood outside and she watched through the door. She came in for a, for a short period, but she went and stood outside and watched through the door. And they said they said to us, look, basically, her body is is shutting down. Her blood her blood pressure keeps dropping, hence the cardiac arrests. Sure. We can keep bringing her back, but it's getting longer each time, mm. and there's less time in between each arrest. Okay. And it's... So I stayed and sure enough, she arrested again and... <sighs> Sorry. No, no, mate. Take your time. Honestly, take your time. And um, if it's too hard to talk about, you don't have to talk and she, about it. She arrested again. Um, and I watched what they had to do to her. Um in terms of resus and by this point her body is retaining so much fluid yeah she's she looked like the marshmallow man bless her you know she was all puffed up and swollen and because of that fluid that her body's retaining where they're pressing so hard on her chest to massage her heart they left a huge indentation oh man and to watch them work on her like that for five, six, seven minutes at a time. It was crushing. Yeah. Um, so after sort of, I think it was after sort of the fourth time that they'd revived her, they basically put it to us that, that she 
she's, she's going to keep doing this. We don't know how much more she can go through. We don't, you know, obviously your decision as parents, we can keep working on her in the hope that something, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they put it to us that we had to make the decision whether they kept working or stopped. Um, and it's the hardest thing that's ever come out of my mouth was telling those doctors to stop and leave her alone was that because, de- because I'd seen how much they'd had to beat up her little body to try and revive her was that a decision you and Michelle made together or was it something um, that- yeah it was a joint decision um, but she couldn't say she couldn't speak she couldn't speak she was a mess so I actually had to confirm it with the doctors um, and yeah, it was, it was, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do to, to, to accept that you've got to say that that's enough. You know, there'd been a conversation previously between us and the consultant and I said to him, you know, what, what are we looking at? You know, what's the situation? Give you know, just be honest with us. And he said, to be honest, you're in a position now where it's, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Absolutely. So from that point onwards, I think mentally I was starting to prepare myself that she wasn't going to come through this already. Yeah. Um, and even so, even doing that, even knowing that, getting to the point where then I've got to make that decision, albeit with alongside Michelle, you know, it wasn't just a, well, snap decision, you know. Absolutely, yeah. You know. Did you guys talk about if this situation would arise um, during, um, like before you started, they started the cardiac arrest? Did we arrest talk or? about it? Did we talk about it? it no, not it really. Never we, didn't your need mind. To. we didn't need to. Okay. It, you know, we were both aware of the situation and how okay. things were. It was... Okay. <sighs> I, I, I would, you could know. never imagine going through what you went through. I mean, and I, I, and I don't think a lot of parents could imagine that. And especially the connection that you had for your the t- towards your children, you know, they're your children. It's it's something that still affects me now, sixteen years later. It shapes you, sixteen years later, and I still suffer with it because. Yeah. And this is and this is you know I've I've done counselling and therapy and stuff, and I've mm. I've suffered with mental health problems since I was eighteen, nineteen. So even before I had Ellie, I'd struggled with depression. Okay. Um, was that is that because of your upbringing or was it because um, of uh... in hindsight and through the help of the therapist that I've spoken to yes it is because of my childhood yeah. my upbringing okay. my relationship with my mother there's there's lots of stuff that have sort of developed that over time and the Ellie situation has just amplified it and made it worse and it's something that I'd never really dealt with until fairly recently Okay. and even now I say dealt with I still don't feel some days that I have dealt with it no. You know, but I don't think you you just you don't just flick a switch and you deal with it. It's, it's not the kind it's of thing. It's a slow can. thing that you have to yeah. um, just build and build. But I don't... so I, I've spent a long time grieving, but not accepting. If that makes sense, mm, sure. Um, so, from a parent's point of view, I, as a father's point of view not even just a parent, from a father's perspective. It's kind of, it's an inbuilt instinct that you can't teach, you can't be taught, you can't 
be told you're there to protect your kids. You'll do whatever it takes to protect your kids. Yeah. You'll, you'll go out of your way to do the right thing for your children. And the thing that still sits with me now, and it's completely irrational because in my head, the, the, the reasonable, rational, sane part of me goes, this is a medical issue. There's nothing you could have done to change this. This is completely beyond your control. The doctors that have trained for God knows how many years couldn't do anything to help, even though they did their hardest. And then the bit in here yeah. goes, well, you should feel guilty for not protecting your kid. You should have looked after your daughter. You should have protected her more. You should. And, and it, yeah, you, you should can't. Feel that and way. I know that. I know, yeah. You know, I'm not a stupid man. Some people might question that, but, <laughs> you know, um, but there's still that parental instinct that goes, I could not protect my child. It must be a human nature side of things. It's, yeah, whether it it's a human be. nature, per, parental thing, I don't know. It has know. to, because I think a lot of parents feel that way. A lot of people feel that way about their, their own children. Yeah. And they, they it feel just like... makes it so difficult. And, yeah, sure. and this is, you know, kind of where my mental health issues stem from even now. Mm. You know, this month in particular, September, she passed away in September. Okay. She passed a week ago Sunday. Some, uh, so the, the 12th was the anniversary. Okay. And Monday would have been a birthday. So September sort of kicks the arse out of me, really. That's so hard, especially as it's a birthday the same month. You know, that's... Her, her birthday <sighs> was eight days after the day she passed. So I'm generally a bit of a state in September. I can see why. <laughs> you know. It probably um, doesn't help because school starts in September as well. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stress going on at school in September. You Do you know? feel like school is helping you push through... And um, and almost almost rebuild you and almost fix you in a certain way. Like, does it? Do you feel like you give them back? Um, how, how 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 does it? How does school and in terms of the situation of losing Ellie? Yeah. No, not really, because you know we 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 have had some children that have lost siblings. We've had some children that have lost parents. Okay. So in that respect, I try and use my experience with those particular children just to guide them when mm. they're feeling a bit emotional. Yeah. Because even at their age, even at secondary school, they're still struggling with their emotions and such. You know, like I say, going through adolescence. You know, it's hard. It's tough as it is. It is really hard. You know? Yeah. We've all been, we've, we've, yeah, we've been, been through it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't remember it because it was a while ago, no, but yeah. I've been there, you know. Um, <laughs> I think I was drunk a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I try and use what I've experienced to help those particular kids mm. you know um, we had one young man he's left us now a couple of years ago um, whose father took his own life oh, God. and this particular young man really really wonderful kid really lovely kid polite yeah. really nice lad but he really struggled after losing his dad and he went from just being really calm and placid and lovely, mm. somebody says something, boom, flick switched, and he just turned into the Hulk. It, it, it was unbelievable. Can he control his emotions? Just, he had no way of controlling it, but he had no outlet for them either. Yeah. So I became his mentor in the last year that he was there, and we managed to talk about some stuff, and if ever he felt a bit emotional or he was having some problems, he'd come and talk to me, and we'd talk stuff out. And what became his outlet? 
Was there anything or was it very much just a conversation? It was very much just a conversation, but it was me sharing my experiences and how I dealt with my loss. Mm. And although they're very different types of loss, certainly as a youngster losing a parent, it's hard because, you know, he'd lost that father figure in his life, that person that was his hero that he looked up to, that he wanted to his support from. And from what he told me, they did everything together. You know, dad was his hero. They, you know, so yeah. to suddenly have that person taken from you, he didn't know what to do about it, especially as a young teen. Of course. And for me, it was kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where all of a sudden nothing mattered because suddenly life's too short. Mm. Because I've seen that life is too short, clearly. Yeah. It's less than two years. Yeah. And in some cases, it's even shorter than that for some people. I'm sure. You know, other people that, you know, have gone through loss. So he must have felt some sort of connection with you because you've gone through yeah. some sort of similar sort of tra- tragedy that he yeah. can connect with. So, I, you know, I understood his emotions. He understood where I was coming from. Okay. The scenarios were different, but the grief was somewhere in the middle same. Mm-hmm. So there was a there was a bit of a, a bond there, you know, and, and he got it and he and he left us in almost almost normal normal sounds like a horrible term but he he left us having almost come a little bit more to terms with things and who he was that's more important. specifically that's important yeah no. and you know um, just being able to be out in life without having to have that weight on your shoulders to be able to and affect you in yeah. your being able to have a job have have a relationship be able to have that um, relationship with your the rest of your family as well and actually his younger brother actually is still with us Amazing. His younger brother is coming through the school at the moment and he's a completely different kid. You wouldn't know that he'd lost his father. Mm. You wouldn't know that there was an issue. It's funny how different children act differently as well. But I think maybe because there's such an age gap between the two okay. of them, maybe it affects him slightly, sure. slightly later on. But personalities yeah. do have a di- make a difference as yeah. well. You know, you know I, I've spent a lot of my life bottling up my emotions and how I feel. Was it because of a product of your environment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, okay. yeah, without question. Yeah. You know, I never felt that... And and part of it's a generational thing as well. It's changed now. People people are... Men never were accepted... Yeah, yeah. ...to show their emotion, to show their sensitive side, to show they were a little bit weak on occasions mm. or that they needed some help. Absolutely. You know, certainly, certainly my father-in-law mm. is from a generation that that wasn't okay. If you yeah. had an issue, if you had, a, if you felt like you had depression, well, it didn't matter because you got up, you got on with it because you were the breadwinner. Yeah, of course. And you didn't go to the pub and you didn't talk to your mates about it and there was none of this, mm. oh, mate, are you okay? Yeah, absolutely. You know, but now I think we're living in a slightly different world where actually a lot more men are a lot more open about how they feel. I think that's great because in the end... <laughs> You can't bottle everything up inside. It's just going to lead to so many more problems. Well, this is this is what I found, and this is where I went with my counsellor. Okay. And one of the sort of the ways that she explained it to me was: imagine your head is an a massive warehouse. Sure. And suddenly, all those shelves are full. Well, now you've got new stock coming in, and that shelf it's got to go somewhere. That's when you get your emotional outbursts. Be it right crying anger, anxiety, depression, Snapping. whatever it is, yeah. that extra stuff has got to go somewhere. And that's mm, where it goes. It comes okay. out of you like that in emotion. Right, okay. And then 
those shelves are empty until you fill them up again mm. and then becomes your next outburst. Right, okay. So it's trying to deal with those boxes and get them organised and get rid of the stuff you don't need first before you have that that breakdown. That must have been great for you because I guess you've never really been able to have a, have a conversation about these sort of things. Um, it took me a very long time to accept that counselling was what I needed. Okay. Um, well, I, if you were growing, growing up in, a, in an environment where that wasn't accepted and it wasn't also... Um, and you were probably beating yourself up, like you said before. You like uh, you I had was, that human yeah. nature thing where you were protective over your child, but and then you're beating yourself up inside, and so it just takes you a time just to get to that point. I mean, it wasn't it must be tough. It wasn't just with Ellie. I, I, you know, I used to store a lot of stuff up, hold my emotions, bottle things in. Yeah, not because I felt that I couldn't share it, mm. just because that's always what I'd done. Yeah. It became a part of me. It's not. As my counsellor said to me, it's it's not actually who you are, it's what you've become. Because you've spent so long doing it, it becomes learnt behaviour. I like that. That's a good phrase. You know. Um, because I guess it's not your a lot of the stuff is learnt behaviour, so you become that yeah. because you've just constantly done it's, the same thing over and over and over. I've always done. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You know, and one of the other things that she said was uh, you, you have a mind bully and, and in this mind bully mm. just says, Oh well, yeah, no, you don't need to do that because, you know, you'll get upset and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and it's not okay to do this. And you need to try and beat that bully back by saying, do you know what, actually, I can do this today, and I am going to complete this, and I am going to do this. That's brilliant. And suddenly all that negativity starts to go away. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Here I am at 41, had depression since I was 18, diagnosed since I was 18. Mm -hmm. I've been on and off of medication since then. I'm currently back on it again at the moment. Part of that is because of the whole lockdown situation that we've all been through recently. Yeah, it's tough and for everyone. I, I know that a lot of people have felt their mental health go backwards because of that. Mm -hmm. And again, for a period of time, I didn't want to accept that I needed help. And my wife said to me, I can see you're struggling. I think you need to go back on your medication. I think you need to speak to the doctor. I said, like, no, 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 I'm okay. I'll deal with it. Sure. And then just one day out of the blue, I picked up the phone, ran the doctor and said, listen, I'm struggling, doc. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you went straight back to the medication I had to Were you, because uh, I was already in such a place where I thought I can't do this on my own okay and what does the medication do to you um, and the way you feel is it because um, your so mood is changing it's or? not it's hard to explain it's not really mood changing as such right okay because I'll still have my down days mm -hmm. um, it's not one of those where it's like kind of so it doesn't trigger like a dopamine hit and then you feel happy no not absolutely not no it's okay. it's more so the the way depression works is it's basically a hormone imbalance. Yeah. And what the tablets sense. try and do are just realign those levels okay. within you. Yeah. It's a, yeah, because it's a chemical imbalance. It's a chemical it? imbalance. Yeah. And I'm not at the point yet where I can come off those tablets. Mm. Because, I mean, this is the longest period that I've been on them ever since I started taking them. Okay. And part of that is lockdown. And part of that is my ongoing battle with my own head. Yeah, of course. And now it's <laughs> September as well, but it doesn't help. And you know? now, yeah, I mean, I've been on them since the first lockdown. Mm. We were three weeks into lockdown and I just thought, I can't handle this. 
Was I'm, it because you, you didn't see anyone? Or, I guess... It wasn't even that because at the time I had a couple of guys who were renting rooms off me right. who, who were friends. Okay. So we, we were lucky that we still had a kind of a social element in our house. So what was it? We were guy? having barbecues and yeah. hanging out and, you know, because the weather was lovely that first lockdown, yeah, it was, it? It, was you know, it was amazing. It was, like, I, and, it was almost like a holiday. Everyone yeah. had time off. Everyone was like, brilliant. Yeah, Everyone's it was amazing. Outside. Um, you know, so it wasn't even the social element. It, I can't even tell you what it was that was triggering it, but there was something that just was bringing me down. Okay. You know, whether it was the lack of seeing other people mm. was it the news know. I mean it could, actually, it could, it it could have been even the news you know could, because yeah. we were getting up every morning banging Boris on God, everyone listen, was you know everyone was watching Sky News or BBC News every single day yeah. just checking out what the figures were and how actually many it got died. to the point a few weeks in where we said you know what I don't want to watch it anymore because no, it's just bringing us down it was depressing it oh, was it genuinely was so I, 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 but the thing is I was on furlough during that time so I worked yeah. for a travel company in London and it was great but then you know COVID hit and the first thing to, to go was travel and then basically put everyone on furlough so I was sat at home not doing anything yeah. and I just sat there and I ended up just getting addicted to football manager like I played football manager <laughs> too much and I haven't played football manager for about 10 years since I was in, since I was like 18 17 in high school yeah. and, and I just got addicted and you know when you get addicted to something you, you just want to keep playing it over I'm and over I'm not that I actually I play football manager so I know where you're coming from it's you know, too I much can, I can happily waste 8 or 10 hours a day just playing football manager and you look at your watch and you go yeah there were things I was meant to do today yeah. one know? more match just yeah. one just more match and then you're like oh, I'm only 3 away from the end of the season I'll yeah, see exactly. the season out I'll see and, out, yeah. and then tomorrow I'll work on my summer transfers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, is, it is, isn't it? So you know, I, I totally get where you're coming from. But, oh, it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, I, I can't even, I can't even put a, what the trigger was. But I, I just got to the point where I just said I can't do this. Yeah, and I, I need the help. Yeah, you know, and and my other half, I've known her for a long time before we were a couple. I've okay. known her, you know, and she's been my absolute rock. Mm-hmm. When the whole situation with Ellie comes around, when September comes around, she's supported me through my depression. She's, you know, she's been brilliant for me. Amazing. And I mean, part of that is because she knew me and my ex and Ellie. She was around at the time. She was there. She met Ellie. She knew her. She knew my older daughter. You know, so... It makes it easier that for That sounds her, like a little yeah. bit of a triangle now, doesn't it? Because she knew my ex. <laughs> I'm not going to ask. <laughs> yeah, there's a longer story to that. I'm but, sure there is. <laughs> um, but, you know, so she's she's kind of almost lived through it with us because yeah. she saw us lose Ellie. Sure. You know, so if anyone understands why I get the way I do, it's her because she was with, you know, the only other person that really gets it is Ellie's mum. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the people that were close to, you know, maybe Michelle's family as well, because they were there with us, they were living it. But, mm. you know, the people that were close to me, that's it. You know, there, there weren't many people around me that actually saw it and went through it and got it. So they get why I'm like I am, you know. No, but I'm lucky that I've got a really, really good support network around me. I've got some great friends that, you know, they, they message me every every year and, you know, say they're thinking of me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've got I've got a really, really good mate who messages me probably once sometimes twice a week just to see how i'm doing that's brilliant you, you know? need mates like that yeah you know i mean he's an absolute tosser but you know he's one of my best mates you know but... he can't be that much of a tosser if he if he messages twice a week oh no he is he is he's an absolute but he knows that and i tell him so it's no, it won't be news yeah. to him you know um but um 
Well, if he's you listening, know. yeah, he sounds like a nice guy. I'm on his side. Hey, <laughs> hey he has his moments, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, he he knows who he is and, you know, he's... I coach football with him. Okay. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's a very good, trusted friend of mine who I've worked at a couple of clubs with yeah. because I value his exp- expertise as a coach, but also because I know I can trust him, mm-hmm. you know, and because of that, we've got this really good friendship. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got a very, very small group of really, really close friends that I would trust with my life. Mm-hmm. They're the kinds of guys that you take a, a bullet for, you know? Amazing. And they, yeah. are, they are a very small handful. Yeah. Um, but these are the guys that are the ones that regularly check in with me. So how yeah. long have you been coaching football for? Because it, sound, it sounds like you've been doing it for a while. Um, how long have I been coaching now? Um... Oh, it's been a while, yeah, maybe six years. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, in relative terms, it's it's fairly new. Okay, but um, I had to do something when I got old and couldn't run anymore. <laughs> Although that said, I've actually now gone back to playing. You play football again? Okay, makes um, sense. so I've gone back to playing for Sands. So Sands, how did you get involved in, with Sands? Right, so Sands, Sands was set up um, quite a while ago. Um, In 2018, um, it was the it was the idea of a couple who'd lost their own child. Yeah, okay. And it's come from. It started as a one-off charity match. Mm-hmm. He got his friends together, and it became a support group for guys that have lost children, be it stillbirth, neonatal. Okay, right. Which is what it stands for. Stillbirth and neonatal death. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Okay. And um, it, it kind of, it developed from there. And it, 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 it was, there was always a support network for mothers, mm-hmm. but there's never been anything set up for guys who understand other guys because they're in the same position. Well, I guess also it's because of that you were talking about the the old school mentality of a, we don't talk about there's it. There's almost kind of a stigma around it that men don't share their feelings and their thoughts and etc. Okay. So he needed an outlet for his grief, so he set up Sands. Yeah. And it's grown and grown and grown and I I can't even remember the last figure I think we're into three figures of clubs up and down the country now that's amazing which is incredible yeah however it's the worst club to be a part of <laughs> because nobody it's the club that nobody wants to be a part of yeah you know yeah because every true. single every single man that is part of Sands has been through child loss of course I mean like so everyone but, but that actually I guess it brings everyone together in a way. It so really all, does. You, you've all got each other's back it and really you, all, does. you can all talk to each other and you yeah. all have the same, uh, similar, I wouldn't say similar experiences, but you've all have ex- a shared experience. We all have a shared experience, be the circumstances slightly different on every situation. Yeah. You know, I mean, we recently started Sam Salisbury and okay. the gentleman that started it, Sam, um, massive credit to him. There was nothing in this area. Um, there was Sands Solent, which is down, obviously, Southampton Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's Sands Bristol. I think there's Sands Bath. But there's nothing kind of in between. Yeah. And um, funnily enough, actually, a guy that I work with at school has also been through child loss. And he right. was involved with Sands Solent. And I said to him, you know, I don't suppose there's any chance of anything coming to Salisbury. 
And he said, well, actually, they are talking about setting one up. And I said, right, when it happens, count me in. I'm, I'm in. And for me, there was kind of an element of the fact that I'm a football fan myself. Yeah. And, you know, I've played football since I was 10 years old. So, you know. Um, but it was having that... I'm just going to bring up Sands on here, actually. Yeah, go for it. Because... Um, it's sands.org.uk. Oh, sands.org.uk. Sands.org.uk. Um, there you go. There's there's the Sands website. Um, and if you go to About Sands, you'll see the, there's a history section in there as well. Oh, um, uh, yeah. So there you go. It's, 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 you know, it's become a huge thing. So and, is, 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 there, is the football side of it, the Sands United side, separate to the actual um, so, um, so Sands, Sands itself? So Sands is the charity name. Oh, it's the charity name. And okay. the football yeah. element of it has, be, has come from the original setup. It was done for a charity game as a one-off to raise funds for the charity. For Sands itself. For Sands. Okay. Cause I, because I, I haven't heard of Sands. Um, I mean, I've heard, obviously, Sands United through you. Yeah. But... I haven't heard of the actual charity called Sands itself. I mean, is it is it relatively new? I wonder if it's growing. Um, so, like I say, it it started in 2018. Yeah. Um, it started as they wanted to honour their daughter. Yeah. And because of his love of football, he decided on having a charity game. Cool. Um, it was held at Northampton Town, and it was in aid of Sands, the charity. That's fantastic. Um, and then it's gone from there. Um, bereaved uncles, dads, brothers, etc., have got involved. We don't make it exclusively for people of non-bereaved. So it could be a family relation, you know. Okay. Um, so we do have on our team, we have dads, uncles, brothers. Right. Because they're associated with it. Okay. You know. So, you, so you're, you're keeping it to anyone keep, who's had that, uh, yeah. been through an experience similar to it, yeah. whether it's a family member or it's whether yeah. it's a direct family Absolutely. member. Okay. So we have several yeah. different WhatsApp groups for our particular Sands club in Salisbury. Yeah. So we have a general, everybody's included, banter group where several people get abused on a regular basis. Well... Everyone needs that. Because it is a lad's <laughs> environment, obviously. Of course, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've got about four or five of those groups. Right? Yeah, Just haven't we ones. all? Yeah. Haven't we all? <laughs> um, but then when we've then got a very exclusive Sans support group. Okay. Um, which is specifically for the fathers. Okay. Who have been through those losses. Now, that's not to say that we want to exclude the uncles, the brothers, mm -hmm. but it's more focused at the the fathers. Well, it makes sense because people, fathers themselves go through something that's a lot more traumatic, let's say, than, really than the rest is. of the yeah. family. Yeah. Um, because it, you, it is, you all share the same experience as a father yeah. gone through a loss of but a child. But it doesn't necessarily just have to be about the, that, no, that it, particular experience. You know, we all share when we're having a struggle. Yeah, I think we that's all good. Share, it's really good. I've, I've done this at work. I might be losing my job. This has happened. I'm struggling. Guys, can you help me out? I need some support. So it's a support network. And, and it is. Yeah. That is what Sands is. It's basically a support network. That's amazing. You know, that is really, and really great. Although we say we're a football club, we're a unique football club in the fact that we're a support group first and foremost. The football yeah. secondary. Yeah. Yes, 
we've just signed up to the Salisbury and District Sunday League. Wow, that's okay, great. So we're in Division 2 in the Salisbury and District Sunday League. Brilliant. And we've played our first couple of competitive matches in the last couple of weeks. How's it gone? Uh, we've lost our first Wiltshire Cup game. Okay. Very close game, though. It finished 9-7. Against 9-7? It finished 9-7. <laughs> it was kind of like a basketball game. You know, you have a go, we'll have a go. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, we ended the game with 10 men. We... Used all our subs and picked up an injury. So, oh god! Um, so and it was a rocky start. It was in those last fifteen minutes that we conceded the last two goals because we uh, okay. we were we were doing all right until then. Who was it against? Uh, that was against Clarendon's Clarendon Juniors. Okay, right. Um, and then the following week, um, the following. How do we get on the following week? I think the following week. Oh, I can't remember the game. The following week. I'm just gonna close that um, I, th- I can't. I think we, I think we got beaten in that one as well. I can't remember. Um, and then, actually, we had a game last Sunday which fell on any Ellie's anniversary. Okay. Um, but how how are you playing with with that in mind? So I've played on a couple of the anniversaries okay. when it's come around in the calendar, um, and whether it's an adrenaline thing, a subconscious thing. I seem to go one or two ways where I'm absolutely amazing yeah, or I'm a complete nut job and a liability. Jesus. And so not being sent off. Touch wood. No, I have never been sent off. In all my time playing, I've never yes. been sent off. I should have been. I know I should have been because I, I, I have made a couple of rash challenges in my time. But, We've all been there. Um, touch wood on this particular... Most occasions, I've ended up playing really well and I generally always score when it's their anniversary. Wow. And this weekend I picked up two and we won three two. Amazing. So, you know. So I bet you did that. I yeah, I cried. I was a bit of a mess. Of course you, know, you were. Before the game, during the game, after the game, you know, I cried. I was a mess, you know. But actually I don't mind that so much these days. It's it's actually something that I I, I tend to share now. I use I use my social media a lot more for my sort of emotional outlet mm. rather than some people use their social media for where they just want to throw abuse and berate the government or you know whatever shout abuse on Salisbury Journal yeah you know whatever it is um, I don't I, mate on all the on the on all the Facebook um, Salisbury groups I've noticed like the amount of abuse people get for the most silly things you're like yeah. come on guys just you know it's because you're safe behind a keyboard isn't I it? think that's what it is you know, isn't you're it? safe behind your phone you can say what you like yeah you know and, and this is sort of you know, if you want to look at the bigger picture going back to football, this is where we find ourselves with football at the moment. You know, people throwing race hate around. Yeah, of course. Homophobic abuse. Yeah. I've got no time for that. No, you absolutely. Know, if you want to do that, go back, crawl back under your rock. You yeah. know, I, I can't be dealing with people like There's that. No and, I, and I'll happily that. call people out on it. Yeah. You know, I, I've recently fallen out with another friend. So maybe it's something about me. I just keep falling out with <laughs> people. Um, but I've recently fallen out with another friend um, who used a particular word on occasion and I, I just said to him, mate, mm. that's not okay. You need to stop doing that around me. Yeah. If you do it when I'm not in earshot, fine, I can't stop that, but don't do it around me. And um, he was like, sorry, mate, I won't. And you, you know, know what? It, probably people respect you more for actually calling people out. And also, you, you were fair by saying, if you do that around me, I don't want to hear it. That's yeah. it, done. You know, and it's kind of how I deal with the kids at school, to be honest. Mm. You know, this is my classroom. These are the rules and expectation in my classroom. Once you leave and go to somebody else's classroom, I'd imagine the expectations are the same, but if they've got slightly different rules, mm. then that's what you adhere to. Exactly. And when you leave school and you go home, you're no longer my problem. You do what your parents say. 
Mm-hmm. And if you don't choose not to listen to them, you're not my problem anymore. It's more of a respect <laughs> thing, isn't it? Like in, <laughs> in the end, I think you've got to teach them that, that you have to respect people. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the biggest thing. Because I, I coach after school clubs, um, two f- football clubs after yeah. school, year three and four and five I'm and six. I'm lucky because I hate little kids. That's why I work <laughs> in secondary school because I can't deal with little kids. You can't deal I with I can't them. deal with little kids. I've got a lot of patience. I, I, to so be the honest, guy that yeah. I mentioned earlier that I coach with okay. he works in a in a similar environment sure he works in, in younger years yeah uh, he coaches he does a lot of after school clubs he does a lot of sports clubs okay so it's not just football he's confined to but uh, yeah he deals with little kids and I regularly speak to him about school and how things are going and he's like yeah I really hate little kids <laughs> you know, one hit him with a hockey stick the other week yeah yeah, yeah it happens yeah, like, I'm, I'm telling you it happens yeah, yeah. brilliant yeah. sent me a picture he had a lovely little black eye that was great you know I did laugh at him quite a lot, and then I inquired after his health, made sure he was okay. But I laughed first. Yeah, you know. I think you have to be quite firm with secondary uh, school children, right? The brilliance with secondary school kids is that you can talk to them in a more mature way. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, if you if you talk to them like a young adult, mm. actually they respect you a little bit more yeah. because you talk to them on a level rather than talking down to them or, or making them feel like they're still a young kid. You know, if, yeah. you, if you talk to them in the same way, they kind of go, actually, do you know what? He's all right. Mm. Yeah, that teacher's all right. Yeah, I like them. Yeah. You know, you, they listen you, to you there is well. a little bit of give and take, you know. And you want to be a role model as well. You want to be able to like, say well, this to is the children. thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. obviously you're preparing them for secondary school. Yeah, absolutely. And we're shaping them to go out into the wide world. Yeah. So we're not just teaching them English, history, French, maths whatever it is no it's not all that we're trying to shape them as people as well to go out into the big wide world and say actually I'm a decent human being yeah and I feel yeah. like that we, we do lose that sometimes and I think that's probably the most important side of things to be able to be just a good person with yeah. good values to be able to go out in the world and just try and also do good and I think yeah. I don't think we push that as much. And I, I, I find the problem I find with working in the primary school, there aren't enough men involved. And don't get me wrong, you know... Um, it's because men have less patience for little kids. That's probably why, yeah. <laughs> that's probably it, to be honest. But uh, there needs to be more men because there needs to have that male role model. They need to have that. And, and I think yeah. that at home, a lot of these children don't have that male role model. Or they, they, they're being raised by a single mother or they're being raised by an abusive father or... All yeah. these, the, the range of different issues. Well, this is this is particularly where my school is. You mm. know, it's either an abusive family, dad, mate. It could be both. Yeah. It could be an alcoholic parent. It could be a split family. It could be foster family. It could be. It could be the they're living with nan. It, you know, it could be any one of a number of scenarios. It, you know, so they're already damaged is the wrong word but I, I, I know where you're coming from they're, they, they've got they've already they've had struggles. significant yeah. struggles in their life they've been through some kind of traumatic experience already mm. in their short little life that they shouldn't have to deal with mm. and we've got kids that come to school because it's their safe place they want to be at school exactly. they'd rather be at school than going home and, it, and, it, and that it, it's heartbreaking to see that mm. because home should be your safe place it should be, you know. It really should be. And some, like you say, some of these kids don't have strong male role models. Some of them don't have role models at all. Yeah, exactly. You know, Whether uh, or not it's female or male, they, people need role models in general. You know, sex, uh, gender, 
plays a factor in a certain way, but it's more the fact that an actual mo- role model in, yeah. in place. I want to look up to this person. I want to be able to help this person is who I want to become when, I, when I'm older, whether it's male or female, or whether it's someone who's in, even in the, as, a, as a grandparent, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Someone who's a good person. And we should be really installing those really those values into children. We have a list of values at, at our school up at yeah. Sarum. Uh, it's, it's quite obvious all the way around the school. You know, it's, mm. it's I'm courteous, I'm respectful, I am academic, I am kind, I am thoughtful. You know, we've got a huge list of them. Fantastic. I, I should be able to remember them all, being that I work there, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm also uh, getting old. I don't want, I don't want you to uh, put them out, don't you? You don't have to, mate. I'm also getting old and memory escapes me sometimes, you know, but, um, you know, but we make mentions of this to the kids every week. Good. You know, we have something called reflection. Mm-hmm. And this is shown to the children every week. We have a theme of the week every week. Um, I think, uh, what was it this week? I can't even remember what it was this week. Last week, was, I, I am courteous. I am courteous. That's a, that's a really good you know? one. So we go through a list of reasons why we should be courteous. Mm. What do we do to make ourselves courteous? How can we be more courteous towards other people? And part of this is shaping these youngsters into going out into the big wide world and being, like you say, good people. Mm. You know, but it's the, it's the little things. Do you hold the door open for the person behind you? Yeah. Do you open the door for the person to walk through in front of you? Do you say thank you? Do you say thanks? Do you say please? Do you be able to... Be able those to... little things, the pleases and the thank yous, yeah. do they cost you anything? No. It costs you a split second of your time. Absolutely. And but also, it's, me, also certainly... the, the, it's also the, the other side of it, where you, if you disagree with someone, like, for example, if I disagree with you right now, we won't, you won't storm off on a rage and throw... Well, it depends your... what we disagree about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that you can have a disagreement with someone but still be respectful. So, and that's something I teach with the, the little ones I look after, especially in the after-school yeah. clubs. Yeah. When you guys are on different teams, you, like, let's say you tackle someone quite hard and I blow the whistle for a, refer- uh, for a foul. You pick, you help each other up, you shake each other's hands and you pat each other on the back and you go on. And I don't want Shame you that doesn't fighting. happen in men's football. <laughs> it's funny that, yeah. But a lot of that, I wonder why that is. I mean, it's, it, it, we should be encouraging like the behaviour of respecting yeah. each other. Well, the FA if... do this big respect thing now, don't they? Absolutely. And, it, and it's not just directed towards officials. It's to your opponent. It's to Everyone. supporters, to yeah. the people around the club. Yeah, and it should be It mm. should be right throughout the game. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, have you done the, um, the level... Um, I've just done the level one coaching. So I've done my level one. Okay. Um, I've been a level one coach obviously since I started. Okay, brilliant. Um, but I've been, I've been delivering sessions more advanced at a higher level. I okay. just haven't had the time or the money to go and do my next levels. Which is level two is the, the next, next one. The next level is level two and then you get onto your UA for B. Oh, um, right, okay. You know, I'd, I'd like to do the full works. I'd like to go the whole scale. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, I predominantly were, I've coached in ladies football. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Um, is that for the school or is that for? No, um, I've I've not I've done a little bit within school, but actually I've tried to distance myself. Okay, um, we've got plenty of capable PE teachers for that. That's perfect. Yeah, you know? so you want to do something um, different. But yeah. my stuff has been outside of school. Okay. I've been I've been at some fairly big clubs actually, mm. um, coaching ladies football. Whereabouts? Um, so I started at Maidenhead. Fantastic. Wow. Um, from Maidenhead, I have been to Portsmouth, Swindon really? Town. Um, I start. I had a hand in setting up Salisbury Ladies. Really? Yeah. They, Amazing. Salisbury were looking for somebody to set up a new club. I got involved, brought in another coach that I know, uh, and then somebody else that I know who was coaching at Portsmouth at the time approached me 
Really? And said, look, would you like to come to Portsmouth? That's interesting. Having just set up Salisbury, not even played a game yet. And yeah. I, I, it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down, unfortunately. But there's part of me that still feels like I've got unfinished business with Salisbury ladies, to be yeah. honest. Nice. Um, well, I guess Sal- but, Salisbury have uh, had to rechange everything, haven't they? Because I think they, because I don't know much about the Salisbury history itself, about the football club, male or the female, yeah, both teams. Yeah. But um, there was an in- incident, wasn't there, with the uh, yeah, previous so, owner? So they used to be Salisbury City, yes. and they're now just Salisbury. Okay. Um, there was a, a dispute with the owner okay. where he wouldn't sell the club and et cetera, et cetera. There right. was a long ongoing thing. So something about season you know, tickets where he stole the season ticket money. Someone I, told yeah, me this. I don't know the, I don't know. I don't know the yeah. full story, so I, I wouldn't either. like to, to make a comment yeah, just no, in case I get any details wrong. But, <laughs> um, well, I don't know either, to be honest. So Yeah. Um, so I know that there was a, a bit of a running conflict. So they did have to... St- to rebrand the club and start again, yeah, um, which is why they dropped down to where they were. Um, They're doing well. When they started, they have done really well. You know, um, Steve Claridge has been there a long time now. I believe Steve's actually uh, he's either one of the directors or a, a co-owner or something. Mm. I can't remember his exact position, but he's also the manager of the the first team, um, and he's done a really great job. You know, um, I know that they are still pushing to get promoted every season. Oh, you know, they, absolutely. You know. And they're, doing, they're actually doing well in the sense of, yeah, I, I went to go yeah. watch them quite a few uh, times last year and I went, I've been once this year already. And yeah. I want to go more, but obviously busy and everything. Um, but it's great fun. It's really yeah, good fun. I, to go no, watch I've been down there for a, a, a few games. Yeah. Um, obviously my local side, I should get down there more really. Yeah, really. Well, yeah. actually that said, my local side is Amesbury Town, but <laughs> you know, that's walking distance from yeah. my house, but... Yeah, because um, they play at the park, don't they? That, that, yeah, yeah. Where that big park yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that before. It'd be easy for me to walk my dog down there and go and watch, <laughs> but... You know, um, but yeah, I, I, I've been to been to Portsmouth, been to Swindon Town. Brilliant. I, was, I was first team manager at Swindon Town Ladies for a while. And how, and how many how many coaches normally are there at each of these clubs? Um, so Portsmouth being the highest setup that I've worked at, um, I was part of the development side. Okay, and the first team had the manager. They had a first team coach. They had a goalkeeper yeah. coach. They had three. Uh, strength and conditioning coaches they had a physio you know so we're talking you know we're that's talking a lot. lot of staff and that's just for the development team that was just for the first team that's for the first, then the, the then first the development, team okay. yeah then the, yeah. the development side we had uh, the manager I was the assistant manager or first head coach whatever you want to call it yeah. uh, we had a goalkeeper coach with us as well okay. we also had our own physio you know, so Portsmouth have got a really, really great setup. It seems that. Really I thought that they're, yeah. they're owned by the fans, aren't they? Or uh, they just, has that changed now? They're owned by the Eisner family. Oh, uh, okay, right, but, okay. Um, I think the fans do have quite a big say in what yeah. goes on in the club. Because so, I think there was, um, was uh, I don't know there's the been a big, There's been a lot going on down at Portsmouth yeah. at the moment. And, you know, they, they are a club that are... In transitions, should yeah. we say? Yeah. You know, well, but certainly, certainly in terms of the ladies' side, it's been one of the best setups I've, you know, and I, I really, really enjoyed my time down there working with the manager Jay. You know, Jay had a big influence on my coaching, mm. watching him and learning from him, and you know that that's been massive for me. So, um, what, what what was it that made you stop working at Portsmouth? Was it that you got offered another job? Or? Uh, no, it was just circumstances okay. and, and what have you yeah. I, I had to step away and okay. as it turned out they 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 knocked the development head uh, side on the head for a little while okay right. um, and they've recently restarted it so, so where, where were they getting the players from the development side were they getting um, from schools were so they... the the squad on a whole the development side was basically a, a 
posh word for the reserves. Okay, right. Um, so a lot of the girls could have made the step up to the first team. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would all start training together. They'd do their fitness work together. And then we'd split off into first team and development side. Sure. And we'd all work on the elements that we needed to. Jay working on whatever it was that he needed for the first team and their upcoming game. Yep. And us with the development side. Now, part of the development side um, remit was to provide at least one player for the first team per season. Brilliant. Okay, that makes sense. And if we could do that, brilliant. Mm-hmm. And on occasion, Jay would have injuries or suspensions and he'd need to take some of the, the, the development girls along with him. Yeah. And we had to make sure that they knew the same roles as the first team girls so they could just walk into the side and Jay could go, this is your job, this is what I want you to do, and they could just go out there and fit in. Right. Okay, so, so a lot of it was just passed down the information, but then it was all about yeah. the communication, I guess. Yeah, a lot Was the it. communication good then? Oh, great. Right. Yeah, we had, a, okay. we had a really good team up at Portsmouth, That's or brilliant. down at Portsmouth, rather. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and you it were living was, here, going back and forth. I was living in Salisbury, driving up and down to Portsmouth. Wow, yeah. that's a long commute. It was a long drive, but <laughs> luckily, luckily the club were in a position at the time where they were able to cover a certain amount of uh, okay. expenses for us, which was nice. Brilliant. You know, that's that was really Im- impressive. So, where are the girls playing now? Like the the women's team itself. So the they... first team play in the National League South. Okay. which is the third tier of women's football. Because they've got the, the Premier... So you, so you have the, the WSL, yep. which is the Super League. The women's Super League. You have and the, the Championship. One. Okay. And then you have the National League, North and, North and, North and South. Ah, right. Okay. And from then, you have the National League regionals. Yep. So you have the South West, you have East, North... I can't remember what all the leagues are split into. Yeah. And that's where Swindon Town are. Okay. And I've been to Swindon. So we were yep. in the National League Southwest Division. Okay. Uh, I would have liked to have achieved more at the club, to be honest. They've got yeah. a fantastic base for them to be higher up the leagues, shall we say. And I know, I, I still, I'm still in contact with a couple of people at the club. Wow. And I know that there are things now being put into place. Yeah. In fact, the main club itself has just been taken over by a new CEO. Really? Um, at Swindon itself? Swindon itself, yeah. And they're making a big push now to include the ladies under one umbrella. That's brilliant. One club, one, you know. Well, I think that's the future, great. isn't it? And, and this is why I got into women's football predominantly, was mm. because I feel that, as, as crazy as it sounds, men's football's kind of not going anywhere. It no. is where it is. It is it's got its funding. It's It's got its... Yeah. It's not going any higher. It's not going to change. No, it's going to be more money pumped into it, but realistically, it's just more and more money. You know, it's The just... only thing that are going to change in men's football is somebody's going to come up with new ideas. Yeah. Pep. Super League. Bielsa. Super. Don't even get me started on that. We haven't got time for that. Um, but no. But is, realistically, but, the Super League is something that people are banging on the door with, and, and people, there are a lot of people who do want that. But aside yeah. from that, but the women's, women's game football, yeah. has no ceiling currently. No, it's no. it's still in development. It's still in progression, and I wanted to be a part of that and make a difference. But it's it's big. It's growing, and people want to watch it. <laughs> So many, I'm glad to hear you say that, I really am, because I hear from so many, or I read so many things on social media. Women's football, nobody cares, nobody cares. Why are we watching this? Women's Nobody watches women's football. Actually, it's the fastest growing sport in the country. Yeah, it is, it is. And I, you know. I've been to watch, um, I'm a big Chelsea supporter, so I've gone, I used to go home and away with Chelsea And on that note, we're done. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you support? I'd rather not talk about it. Okay, right. (laughs) I'm a United fan. Can you not tell by the accent? (laughs) 
Of course, yourself, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. Anyone down here? <laughs> no, um, big, I, I used to go home and work with Chelsea all the time. Uh, my dad's been Chelsea since the 80s. So it's one of those sort of things where kind of grown into it. But we've gone, or I've gone to watch the, the Chelsea um, ladies before. Yeah. And it's been great. And I watch them every time they come on TV, always watch it. Yeah always support them and I follow a lot of the um, the ladies on Instagram myself yeah. and yeah. I want to encourage it because I think it's it's brilliant and they're great and they're, they're, they're great um, uh, sportsmen as well they're, they're great role models yeah you know yeah. the girls that play at those levels and then even the Super League girls you know they're, they're paid professionals now absolutely yeah they they've always got time for fans yeah they'll always sign autographs they'll mm. always sign shirts they'll mm. always take photos you don't see the men doing that. Yeah. They want to get off the pitch and out the ground as quick as they, they can. Want to, they don't want to touch, like go even near you know, the fans. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There are players that do interact and they've got a reputation for having that good, you know, Juan Mata, I know, for example. Yeah, he's, you know, he's been He's been to both your man. club and mine. What a man. And I, I love the guy. I, w- I just wish he was 10 years younger. Absolutely. Fabulous player, mm. but an even better person. Yeah. Got time for everybody. Mm-hmm. Never says a bad word about anything always talks with such eloquence. Yeah. Just a really nice guy. He got invo- he always gets involved in the community, wasn't yeah, he? That's what absolutely. he did. But I think, I think one thing Chelsea, for example, what really annoyed me about, um, about men's football in general was that outside Stamford Bridge, there's an area where, all the, where the coach pulls up. Yeah. And where the coach pulls up, you can then you walk into the change rooms. But the problem is, you, know, you, used, to, you used to be able to wait there and take pictures with, and yeah. wait for signatures, etc. They've now blocked off the area and you have to pay, I think you have to pay, or you have to be a member or something this is, yeah. in order to get into that, just to that area. And you think, that was the one opportunity for people to a lot to be able to sit there and wait for hours if they needed to, to see their idol. But now you've monetized it. It's yeah. just like, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, it, it is difficult, you know, and, and you, see, you see fans waiting outside football ground training, you know, training grounds. Yeah. You know, and all they want is a, a photo or a yeah, hello, or absolutely. could you sign this? Yeah. You know, they it's going to take 30 seconds out of your day. Mm. You're on 200 grand a week. Exactly. Is it going and to, you know... It's the same when we go to away. <laughs> the amount of away days I've been to, and we travel, let's say, I've, I've been to Tel Aviv to, to watch Chelsea. I've been to uh, Frankfurt. I've been, I went yeah. to, I went to Porto to watch the Chelsea okay. final recently. Okay. And all we want is the fans, to, uh, the players to come up the end to give you a clap. Yeah. It takes 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah. Of their, just of their... And that's, I, that's I must admit, and it's the same. And I, actually, I prefer doing United away days because the atmosphere is much better. Oh, it's United, amazing. United it's amazing. fans are, are much better away. You, you guys are, are brilliant away from home. Amazing. Um, and it's amazing the amount of times that... Certainly the guys that I go with, it's amazing the amount of times that we spot the ones that don't care. Yeah. That will come to the halfway line, clap you that's from it. a distance and go. then bugger off. Yeah. The ones that actually come up and, and will spend time... Mm. And you know, you, you I, want I that. think who's the one recently that's been doing it? I think Pogba, and uh, who's the other one? Um, I think it might be Mason Greenwood recently. Yeah, have start, uh, Harry Maguire does it quite a lot as well. well they actually, come, come all the way come down. all the way down, and they'll give their shirts to the fans. Fantastic, and they that's they great. do that ninety percent of games. That's brilliant. But that's the stuff that never gets talked about. It's the stuff like. Oh, he's on 200 grand a week yeah. and he just bought a new car. He just bought this and he was seeing this and he was doing this. All yeah. right, so what about the time that he went to the hospital and he saw, and, you know, he saw yeah. the sick kid? You never hear about that you side You don't of hear football. about that side. But Which that's the shame. brilliant thing about women's football Yeah, is that they do all of that stuff. They're much more community-based and they appreciate their fans a lot more. Yeah. And this is why I want to get into women's football so much more. The other reason is because they're much more receptive. Yeah. Um, some of the men. Also, that the quality I've of the football with. was growing. Like it's. I remember watching it ten years ago. It was. It was. 
It was okay. It's now so much better. Yeah. So much better. I watched the Champions League final. Uh, I think Chelsea played against uh, Barcelona. Whoa. Uh, I thought Chelsea were a good side, but wow, Barcelona. Barcelona are a great side. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. They smashed Chelsea. So, I mean, I, when I was younger, I used to play to a reasonably decent amateur, semi-pro, whatever you want to call it, sort yeah, of level. Sure. It was still non-league. I never made it as a pro. You who, know. Are you, who are you playing for? Uh, so I played for Ash United in the Combined Counties. Okay, cool. Um, I had a little stint at Hartley Whitney as well, which nice. was also Combined Counties. Yeah. You know, so it's not, we're not talking like National League or whatever it was, but was this, well, I always felt that I could have. How old were you when you had your stint? Uh, would have been between sort of 18 and 22, I suppose. Okay. You know. Was this before Ellie? Um, well, I had 18, I had Sophie at 18. Sophie at 18, okay. Ellie by the time I was 21 as well so you oh, 21 know. okay so you were playing football between these times so I was I was still playing football all this okay. time you know yeah. um, and I you know I don't want to sound arrogant but I could play a bit yeah you know I'm 41 and I'm still getting asked to turn out now so it's great you know I'm obviously <laughs> doing something right but yeah. my days of playing at that sort of level are gone but when I look at some of the girls that I've worked with and coached some of them are technically more able than some of the lads that I've played with. That's amazing. You know, and I think that the girls get a bad rap yeah. for not being good enough when mm. in actual fact, I know, I know a handful of girls that would make some of the lads I've played with look completely stupid. Yeah. You know, and yet there's people sitting there on the internet going, well, women's football's not good enough. You know, righto. Have you actually ever been to watch a good... The thing is, that what they do is like, uh, there are people who are out there who just make a mockery out of anything, right? So they'll, what they'll do is they'll watch uh, a women's football match and then they'll go, you know what? They'll get the worst bits of it and put it on YouTube. And they're actually, I've actually seen a video that's been shared amongst some of my, my friends that puts all the worst bits of women's football together. Oh, and yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. you could do the same thing in men's football. The amount of times you watch a match and someone and someone messes up and one kicks the, the ball out. One it's of like... the funniest ones that I think I've seen, actually, one of, the, one of the YouTube clips that I think I've seen was women's football. And then the girl takes a corner and it doesn't even cross the line. She completely scuffs it and it goes straight out. Yeah. And then it cuts to a men's game and he kicks the corner flag and doesn't even play the ball. <laughs> kicks the corner flag, falls over and knocks the ball out of play. And you think, so why isn't everybody laughing at that? Yeah, that why, yeah, exactly. why, why are we not criticising that? That's stupid. Just because it's women's football, you know. I think it's... a lot of it is people don't like change. But I think also, but also the, the, a lot of people shouldn't care. If you don't, if you don't like it... Don't watch it. Fine, fine. Don't just watch don't, it. Just don't bring it don't up. Don't comment. Just don't talk about it. Why are you talking about it? That's and that's one thing I find really strange. Like people who don't like it, don't watch it. One, and don't have an, keep, don't yeah. have an opinion. And the, the, the opinion they do have is that they hate it, right? But they don't want they. What's called, and that's what they keep sharing. They keep sharing about one how of the words that I use quite often when I see stuff come up on social media is Neanderthal, <laughs> because the people that comment are just that. Yeah. They're knuckle dragging Neanderthals who've got no idea and they believe that women be- belong in a kitchen and not on a football pitch. I or find on a cricket pitch. I find or on a whatever pitch. Uh, cri- oh, w- women's cricket. Women's right. cricket's amazing. Wow. There's went, a couple of the England girls that could be in the men's side. It's phenomenal. I went to go watch um, the 100, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and I really enjoyed the 100. A lot of people, a lot of cricket fans don't like the 100. But um, I went to go watch it. It was a day out. I had a bit of a laugh. 
the women's match was at three o'clock. Yeah. And the men's match was at six fifteen. Where did you go down to? Uh, no, it was uh, at Lords. Down to the Rose, but oh, uh, down to Lords. Lords. Okay. Yeah, Lords. Yeah, it was great. But the women's match was so exciting. It was amazing. It went down to the last ten run, uh, ten balls. Yeah. It was brilliant. Everyone was on there. Everyone was going crazy. The men's match, they were all bowled out after like forty runs or fifty runs, and you're thinking that was boring. Everyone booed at the men's match. <laughs> you're there thinking you like. The women's match is great. Women's cricket is great. The boundaries yeah. are brought in slightly further, but I think it, it's getting better and better and better and more cricketers yeah. uh, are coming up and they're coming through the ranks. Yeah. And the, the more awareness there is and the more it's on TV and the more funding there is, well, and the quality will get better. And that's the, what will happen. Yeah. Well, have you heard recently, this week, the ECB have changed their terminologies, haven't they? Yeah, they have, yes. They're yes. no longer batsmen. They're batters. Yes. I, I, Makes it sound a bit more like baseball. I, I can see that, yeah. But I, I don't necessarily see why it's necessary. No. There are some things I think that don't need messing about with. Are the women getting offended by being called a batsman? I don't. No, of course they're not. It's, it's because traditionally you know. it wasn't a, a man's game. It's not anymore. We know it's not. Why do you have to change the terminology? Yeah. It's, you know. we, we know it's not a, a man's game anymore. So, it, I mean... Look at it. It's, it used to be not even a poor man's game. It used to be a wealthy yeah, man's yeah, game. Yeah. So, like, do we let do we let poor people into the pavilion? <laughs> like, do you just open it up to local people around the state? No, you don't. You only rich people still go in there. So, so what's the difference? Yeah. Uh, and, I think the, I think part of the problem with cricket is it's run by old men. Yeah, I think it's run by old men in suits. White, yeah. <laughs> White old men. <laughs> yeah. yeah. White rich, rich yeah. old men. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's it but I do think uh, and I remember when I went to Lords for the 100 you know the 100 were, try, were being pushed by the ECB and it was really big and they were, they were trying to push it but Lords still had a bit of a, a, bit of a pushback they shut the bar at 8 o'clock and you're thinking the game was still going on we still had yeah. 2 hours left until the game was finished what 9.30 or even whatever it was they shut the bar at 8 o'clock because they didn't like the rowdiness you're thinking it's, ridiculous, isn't it? it's crazy my, I know my father-in-law has a, a particular issue with the 100 to be honest yeah I think a lot of it's, people it's just a reworked version of a 2020 it's like 20 you know? balls difference yeah you know. what's the point what's, right? what's a 5 ball over it's and also it's, over it's, a, it's affecting um, test match cricket as well in that sense um, do you not think so yeah yes and no I mean I still think test matches. I know a lot of people have got an issue with test matches saying that it's dying and mm. you know there are becoming less test match playing countries now yeah which is a problem but I still think te- I'd, I'd much rather sit and watch a eight hour test match oh absolutely so know, would I because yes nothing might happen for two or three overs mm. but you might also see a Ben Stokes inning at absolutely you know Headingley uh, was it Headingley wasn't you know, it yeah they, those are the days that you can't recreate. Absolutely. I think I still, you know, a Joe Root hundred. You know, Test match for me is the pinnacle of cricket. It is exactly that. It, it is. is a test of strength, stamina, skill, concentration, everything, everything. Yeah, you know, and it's different surfaces as well. So if you yeah, look at like different surfaces, different conditions, all different... over the country at different days. And the thing is, the British weather plays a factor, and that's the beauty of cricket is the yeah. fact that it's it does. It's not always the same. Every test match is different. And it's like a bit of a story. It's like a novel. That's why I compare test match cricket. It's like, like a, you, you're reading a book and you've got the book goes up and down in a storyline and it ends up with a result or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. It may not be the best test match, but you still enjoy the test match. But then like, uh, but then, if you look at 
a one day match it's a bit like a movie 2020 is a bit like watching a, t- a TV show like yeah. a reality TV show it's quick quick fire bam I bam I think the bam, thing bam. with T20 and, and the 100 recently is it's all about the razzmatazz isn't it it is it's trying to get yeah. more people into cricket it's like IPL yeah. It's this, it, yeah. the 100 is IPL, the British the version bash. yeah the yeah. English so it's the all English. of those isn't it you know, yeah. it's, and that's, it is what it is but I do I do think cricket is a, is, a, is a really interesting point right now because the problem is with the 100 that I don't like about the 100 is the fact that the counties don't exist in the 100 and that is affecting the counties financially it's, be- it's become franchised doesn't it basically yeah that's but also look at the schedule's tight I mean you've only got a certain amount of months you can play cricket, uh, cricket. <laughs> yeah. and that's the yeah. problem so yeah. you've got four different formats squeezed in in the space of and the counties tend to months. lose a lot of their players to internationals as well yeah, because they're all on central contacts with the ECB. Exactly. So you know it makes it even harder. And that's it? and that's the tricky part of it. I mean, yeah. we could probably talk about cricket all night. I could talk about <laughs> sport for most of the evening, to be honest. I, I'm I'm into most things. Well, I'll probably have but, to get uh, you back on and talk about sport. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, more than happy to come back. Yeah. Well, cheers, no Dan. Problem. Really appreciate it today. No, you're thanks more than for thanks, No, thanks for having me. It's um, been emotional, should we say? Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. Happy to talk about it. No, we've talked about some great stuff today. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry for making you emotional about asking so many questions. No, no, it's absolutely... Nine times out of ten, I'm absolutely fine with it. And, I, you know, I can talk about it till the cows come home. But yeah. just for whatever reason today, maybe it's because of the month and, like, you know, what we talked about earlier, so yeah. close to anniversary and birthday. I think maybe it's just a little bit more raw than it would be normally. Yeah. Ask me again in November. Well, you've got to go play football now. <laughs> I have got to rush off the training now, yeah. So I've got well, to have throw fun. myself around a football pitch. <laughs> well, you can. You, that releases dopamine. You'll be happy after it that. It does, yeah. yeah. It, it takes out some of the frustration of a day at school as well, yeah. I'm not going to lie. No, I play football on Wednesdays and it's great. I come back and I'm just like pumped up. I could do anything after I play football. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it, it, does, it does help the emotions, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Well, cheers, Dan. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks, Rick.